I got a text not too long ago from someone I respected. He lives in another city, and it was, I don't hear from him often, so when I got this text, it caught my attention. And he, he essentially said this through text. He said, I'm considering not returning to church after the pandemic. It was in the time of the pandemic. And he went on to explain through text how, in his estimation, a church had become too aligned with uh, American politics, our political party. And, and I want to just say right away, there's a huge generational gap in that. And so we, we've got to understand that younger people and whatever younger means to you, under 50 or under 40, um, tend to not want church just to be upon of, of a political process or a political agenda. Even though there might be important things in that agenda. And I just boldly told him, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't leave the church. I mean, this guy is a talented guy. It's a young family. Actually, he used to be a pastor at one time. Like, don't, don't be one of those. Don't leave the church. And, and don't leave the church over something silly like a politician or, or leave the church because some pastor, some bozo in another state misappropriated funds or, or was unfaithful to his family. And yeah, that hurts and it's hard and it's confusing and it's disappointing. But guys, the church is a gift to the world and the church really makes a difference. And I see the enemy is taking people out of the active body of Christ. And so that's why I want to spend this week and next week trying to answer the question, what is the church? I had someone tell me before service, I'm going to be listening today. So it is a two-week series. If I don't say what you want me to say, come back next week or watch next week. <laughs> what is the church? And I want us to look at a lot of different scriptures today about what is the church because that's where we want to find um, that definition and that pathway that we're, we're making sure we're following what the scripture says. Since the year 2018, I think that uh, we've seen a lot of negative things, negative media about uh, happenings in the church. Now, whether, whether or not that more sin is in the church now, or there's just more awareness of sin in the church now. I'm not sure which it is, but I do know this is that when, when, when we discover that there's been failure within the church, the world laughs, but for those of us who love the church, we ache and it hurts and it takes our breath away. And here's the problem. When the church is at its worst, it is gut-wrenching pain. I mean, it is, it is almost debilitating. And so when I say that, I don't even want to minimize your experience or your story. When I say don't leave, I'm not saying your pain's not real or your pain's not very difficult. I'm just wanting to welcome you back in or, or I want to implore you to stay, just as I did with my friend over text. But I'll say this right away. I understand that when the church is at its worst, it is horrible. Because the place where we're supposed to be the safest with our emotions and our spirit and, and our families and our relationships, when, when that's the place where 
assaulted or tricked or that that's a place where we are deceived. It just carries a deeper kind of pain and a deeper kind of hurt. These things weigh on us. It weighs on us in a different way. So I acknowledge that right away. But I want to say this. When the church is at its best, there is nothing like the church to bring change to the world. There is nothing that can lift humanity, nurture the soul of a city, change generations like the gospel lived out through the local church. I still believe the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus is the local church. Jesus, his body, he is represented in the local church. And that is why the enemy wants to take you out of the church. The enemy wants to isolate you. The enemy wants you to minimize the importance of what we do and who we are. And then when we feel it and we see it and we recognize it statistically in our country right now, and we know globally the Lord is working in different places, but, but we do need a renewal of, of commitment to church within our country. And I'm talking to people who are sitting in church right now or watching church. So way to go, guys. Way to go. So you guys are doing it. And that's why every week I try to say thank you for coming to church. You being here matters. Your participation matters. You make a difference. And God has a plan. When healthy, nothing can bring value to humanity positively impact culture and promote genuine love like the local church. Our, our youth pastor, he's on vacation today, Mauricio Barahona, amazing, uh, amazing man of God in his early 30s. Uh, he did not become a Christian until he was 17. And you'll have to hear his story from him. But at that time, you know, he had no father in his life. And different things have happened where some of the men in the church he's encountered through projects they've worked at. He's told me, he said, you know, the men in this church remind me of the men I grew up around when I first got saved. Who, who raised me spiritually. Who, who invited me into the spiritual family. Uh, who did levels of mentorship. And I see there that this value that that the church has a way of connecting people relationally with a depth unlike any other entity in this world. So why does this teaching matter? I've already said because I'm trying to, I'm trying to encourage those who are discouraged. I'm trying to, to really call in those who may be on the fringes or the edges. But I, I believe this is that whatever profession you have, whatever vocation you're called to, Whatever your life looks like right now, whether your career is launching or your career is landing and you're, you're close or into retirement, that God has called you to give your life to build the local church. I, I believe that. I believe that that is the one institution, if you want to call it that. I don't, I don't like to call it an institution, but that is the one. The local church is what will really, really matter a thousand years from now. We don't know what the world will look like in a thousand years or in 10,000 years. You might say, well, Jesus is about to come back. I hope he does, but you're not getting off that easy. All right? We're, we're ready for him to come, but we're planning as if he won't come in our lifetime. He will come. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that or I wouldn't be up here right now. He will return again. But we are also... We are planting oak trees that we're not going to get to enjoy like the next generation will. 
We're, we're, we're building something multi-generational that will last. We're, we're, we're looking at the long game. We're, because we know this is that every Christian, we have all believed Jesus is, is coming back. That's part of being a Christian. We should live as if he's coming back. But we also plan for multi-generational work of God to continue in our city. That's part of what God has called us to do. Our reason to exist, the church's reason to exist is irreplaceable. No one can do our job. No one can replace what we are called to do. Our cause, our cause is so great, we must continue to champion the cause. So this is why we are called to be the church. So there's a word in, in, that is in your Greek Bible that you'll see. I don't know a lot of Greek words. You guys are so lucky that I didn't get trained in Greek and Hebrew very good because that way um, I don't have to give you definitions you're going to forget. But occasionally I'll give you a word. All right? The, uh, the word ecclesia. This is a word, and the reason why you'll see this word here and there. You'll, you'll see this word in Christendom. Ecclesia is a word that means assembly. And this is, this can be used, it was used contextually when the Bible was written. It could be an assembly for for games, an assembly for a festival, and, and then an assembly of Christians. And this is where we get the word church. So the word church means the assembly. The gathering is a better way. Church is a gathering. It's gathering people around a cause. We know that cause is Jesus Christ. Gathering people around the gospel message. Gathering people around the cross. Gathering people around the resurrection, which we celebrate every Sunday. How I many you know today is the day we celebrate the resurrection? Every Sunday we celebrate that. So this is, this is who we are. So here's my first point of where the gathering is. You're like, when is he going to read the Bible? I'm going to get there, I promise. you got lots of Bible ahead of you. Don't, don't give me your pharisaical attitude. The Bible's coming. All right, here's number one is the gathering. That's who we are. We gather together. And these, this, this gathering has some different expressions that, that we can see in the New Testament. So there's what we're going to now categorize as the local church. The local church. The local church. And here's a couple of examples of that. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. And you'll see that when, when letters were written, they were not written for publishers. They were written for churches, for gatherings, for people. So what we call books of the Bible were letters to specific gatherings of people. And so we see that, that here at the beginning in, at 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says, I think, you know what, we must have the wrong reference there. So let's go on to uh, 16, 19. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's where we want to be. So let's just, I'll read that to you. The churches of Asia, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. So we have a local church that met in a home. Now, when I always talk about home churches, I, I just think of the track homes most of us live in, where you have like a living room that could see you know, six people, and then you, you have to, at Thanksgiving, figure out a way to get 10 people in. Th those were not the type of homes. I, I had the privilege in 2011 to, to go through the ruins of Ephesus and they showed a home in that region, and they had a room that's about half the size of this room here. They, they could have hold 100, 150 people. 
So when we think, and it's interesting, when we think home, we're, we're, we're thinking, oh, the, the, the church at the beginning just had little tiny gatherings. That's not necessarily true. It could be true at places, but it's not universally true is that they gathered at different places. But what I want you to see here, and you can see in your Bible since it won't be on the screen, is that we have a specific place and specific people. Oh, there we go. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord. This is what I think about when I think about a local church. I see names there. And I just believe this, is that everyone needs to be part of a church where they are known. I believe that. Like somebody knows who you are. It might be someone in your section that you sit, like they recognize that, oh, that guy or girl used to sit in the back, back left and they're not here anymore. That, that is maybe the lowest level of being known, but that's something, right? It may be that online, I know several of you who are watching online that you'll say where you're watching from, and we'll try to acknowledge that on the weeks we have moderators there or whatever the case is, and we'll have to say, hello, we're glad you're here. We call you by name. Then the groups that we have, the Bible studies we have, the opportunities to serve together. We, are, we, we need a place where we are known and we know people, and this is why the church is always best expressed locally, and in in gatherings where people can interact. And I just think that's a value that we cannot ignore. Then I'm going to categorize a city church. A city church. And in our case, we're going to camp area or the B. Include that as like our whole county. Because those of you who are in the station camp area or the beach area, we know we're, you know, we're sometimes Hendersonville, sometimes Gallatin, sometimes Goodlettsville, sometimes Hendersonville. And so we know we're just one big city. I know that the mayors and all of them don't think that, but we think that because it's, it's all connected. And so here in Sumner County, we, we, have, not, we have our local churches, and, and we know our names, and we have our stickers on our car. By the way, I love it when you guys put stickers on your car. Um, so I, I need to put one on my van. That's the one I haven't put on. And, and I need to do that to keep myself accountable to the rules of this great state and nation. But, but we, we, we identify ourselves, and kind of when we identify ourselves through a local church, we're, to me, we're saying, hey, that's the place where somebody knows me. You know, that, that's the place where somebody knows who I am. And that's a good thing. But we are part of a city church or a county church here, this idea that, that there's not just, we're not just like this lone group up here on this hill on exit seven thinking we're the only ones going to heaven. I mean, we're it. We're the best church ever. So we're the only ones going in. We cooperate with, with the city church. We cooperate with that. Look at first Corinthians chapter one, verse two, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Lord, of Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And we see that these letters start with these type of greetings. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 is very similar to this. Paul and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. There's a church here in Sumner County, and it's at lots of different locations this morning, but there's one Lord, one Savior, one baptism. Hey, he is, he is the head of our city church. 
He's the head of it. And guys, we're seeing this manifested in such an amazing way right now in the middle of the Sumner County Thanksgiving blessing. And I appreciate so much Jacob's leadership in, in, in this. When he first told me, we, we've had Thanksgiving blessing for 14 years, and he first said, it's the Sumner County Thanksgiving blessing. I'm like, okay, Jacob can be a little uptight about wording sometime. I'm like, okay, well, you know, all right, whatever. But he was right, it really is. And here's the deal. I, I mentioned this before, but we've, we've done it 15 years in a row. And, and, you know, we've got up to like 180 mils. And some years we gave 140. We kind of bounced between 140 and 180. And so Jacob and, and Corey was working with him and working with other ministries here said, we're going for 1,000 turkeys and, and Thanksgiving dinners this week. And as God's man of power of faith, I said, Jacob, that's too much. Vision's too big, man. And you know what? I was right that the vision was too big for just our local church. But we have involved now First Baptist Hendersonville, First Baptist Gallatin Winchester Street, uh, the Warehouse Fellowship, Crossroads Church, First Methodist Gallatin, Sumner Christian Fellowship, and St. Luke's AME. Guys, listen, already today there are how many, how many are registered for these mills? 956 pre-registrations for the Sumner County Thanksgiving blessing. Look what happens when we get a bigger vision of what the church is. Yes, we need local churches, places where our name is known and our stories are known. And we know the pastors and we know the leadership. That's so important. In fact, I would even say it's necessary But then when we begin to see the work of God that's beyond our individual buildings and our individual names and our individual logos, we begin to see that God takes cooperation and unity and alignment to do the most important thing, which is to reach more people with the gospel. And in this case, they're going to be reached and their physical needs will be met so their spiritual needs will also be addressed. And this is part of the Lord's work. So then we have the regional church. And we may even call this like, this could be like a national church. I mean, maybe you hear the Church of Tennessee or the Church of the South or the Church of the United States of America. And this idea that, yes, different regional churches have personalities. And so you've already heard me refer today to the condition of the church in America. And then regionally, we have unique conditions that are different than the Northwest or the Northeast, or so on. You can understand how these categories uh, can be addressed, but spiritually they're addressed. In Acts 9, chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, these are bigger than cities, these are regions, had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And it, it increased in numbers. So I think it's positive and good to build our local church, to align with the city church, and to be aware of spiritual dynamics in regional national churches. These are all points of prayer and points of cooperation. Then there's the global church. And this is our chance, our chance to be connected missionally. And 
um, England and the United States of America have sent the gospel all around the world. The mission movement started in England, and then the mission movement moved to the United States of America, and now it's both of those countries are in a post-Christian state. Something exciting, something that like I, I, I predicted maybe, or so, so bold to prophesy. I mean, it, 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 there was, this was logical too, because of globalism. That 20 years ago, I would talk about there's coming a day when, when missionaries from other countries will come to our country. And that's happening this morning in Middle Tennessee. There's many examples of, of international ministers who have moved to Nashville to bring the gospel to Nashville. To bring the gospel to international churches and, and, and ethnic churches that, that as, our, as our country is changing. And, and I, I do believe that the seeds from England and the seeds from the United States of America will bring great spiritual fruits for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I am not giving up on our country, and I believe we have a great future because God's word is true. And, and it might look different than you, than you think. It might look different than we imagine, and that's okay. We're going to be open to the movements of the Lord, and he's going to send, he's going to send his, his prophets and prophetesses to declare the word of the Lord over our nation. And, and they may have a different culture and may have a different color than we expected, but they are God's servants to call us to repentance and call us to holiness and call us to the ways of the Lord. So there's a couple of terms that, that may scare you. Maybe the term global church scares you because that word global can feel scary. But what I'm just saying is that in every continent of the world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, another word for it, and this is even a more scary word to some of us because we associate other principles with it, the universal church. And the universal church is an important term. Uh, it's not talking about the the, the theological position of universalism, which is very dangerous. But the universal church means that all people in all places who have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ are part of the church. And so that is what the church is. The church is all people who have ever believed in the way of Jesus. Alive all around the world today, but alive the last, the last few centuries and the last 2,000 years since Jesus, his incarnation. And so we're part of something big. I say all of this is because don't throw away that inheritance. Don't let something temporal like a local pastor in Kentucky or California keep you from this great heritage you're in. Don't let a temporal political position, which will be forgotten in 20 or 30 years, keep you out of the family out of the universal church, out of the church that has existed since the ascension of Jesus, since the day of Pentecost in every country, in every land, in every nation. It's, it's quite immature to let our personal emotions sometimes overtake the great gift of the church. Another term that we're not as comfortable with, but I want to inform you of, is the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church. There's a difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Catholic Church. Sometimes, like in the Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, it says we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That doesn't mean we believe in the Vatican and, and some of the errors through um, the Roman Catholic Church, through the Pope. It just means 
we believe in all people at all places who have believed in Jesus. But because that's so complicated, when we say the creed, we just take out the word Catholic. I was debating whether I should do that or not. And years ago, Tracy Shea was our media person and she put in the creed and she said, I took out the word Catholic. So I said, Lord, you, you told me what to do then. You told me what to do. Okay. So we believe, and we say here at our church, we believe in the Holy Church. But for those of you who know the full creed, you can say, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And we're not talking about Rome. We're talking about all people who have all believed the same specific things about Jesus. That's the church. All believers everywhere who have believed that. And we'll get into some of those things uh, next week. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church um, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And so when that scripture is giving us revelation of the love Jesus has for the church, it's obviously not just talking about Christ as love church or CIL. We're not the only church. It's talking about the whole global universal. And if I dare say Catholic church, the, all people who have believed in the ways of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says it this way. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the gathering, in the ecclesia, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles and gifts of healing, helping, leading various kinds of tongues. Now, before you get all caught up in all of those different definitions, we have all type, we've addressed those in many, many dozens of different ways here at the church, and we'll do it again. Here's what the, the point is for this morning. God gets a lot of different types of leaders and a lot of different types of gifts to represent Jesus to the world. So we're all part of this body of Christ. And go back to verse 27, and this is what I want you to see here. We're, we, we are, you are the body of Christ. CIL Church, you are the body of Christ. You are the embodiment of Christ. You are what people see and hear and touch of Jesus in this world. That's why our cause is irreplaceable. That's why parachurch ministries, we support those, we like those, never replace the church. That's why, you know, that's why... Different, different organizations that do great things for humanity can't replace the church because the church is the embodiment, the body of Jesus Christ in this world. And that's why wherever we do missions, we want there to be a local church there. When we went to Costa Rica, we worked with local churches. Mauricio went to Honduras and he, he's going to take a team there next year. He met with the local church. When we went to Appalachia, we worked with local churches. When we, when we do our water project during, during 2023, and we're going to help bring water filters around the world, we're going to distribute those water filters through local churches because the local church is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear this today because some of you, your tasks, the things you do, checking children in at Mission Control, helping people park, greeting people in the lobby, 
watching the kids and discipling the kids in nursery, listening to memory verses at Awana, you know, straightening up chairs when they're crooked after the 9 a.m. service, picking up that trash and bending over and picking up that trash in the parking lot instead of passing it by. You're not just a person who is who is accomplishing a function. You are the body of Christ. You are, it's Jesus picking up the trash. It's Jesus straightening up the chair. It's Jesus greeting the visitor. It's Jesus making that child feel uh, welcomed at church. It's Jesus that's opening up their home for a 242 small group. It's Jesus who is gathering a group of women and who are who are looking at the word of God together. I would say even Jesus was part of the charcuterie. You don't even say it right. Man, the, the meat and cheese on a piece of wood that you guys learned about that Friday night. Man, I should have known never to try that word. But that, that, was, that was the body of Christ in operation, in work. And sometimes we get caught in this mindset of oh, our car just heads to church on Sunday. We just get on Facebook Live and get on YouTube because it's Sunday. We just kind of move a certain direction because that's what we do. And we forget the glory and the wonder and the splendor of the presence of God among us. The presence of God is in our men's Bible study at 8 a.m. The presence of God is in our small groups that will meet on November 20th. The presence of God are in the baskets that we're going to give out, the, the turkey meals we're going to give out. We are the body of Christ, and everything we do represents Christ. It is a privilege. No wonder the enemy wants you to marginalize the church. No wonder the enemy wants to take you out and let offense take you out of the church. Offense at things that disturb you emotionally that are temporal can take you out of the story of God for our generation. This is the challenge that we have today. Years ago, my my kids, when they were small, they were playing with some other staff kids. It was the Huff kids, and they were in the lobby running around and so forth, and David Huff's mom was visiting, and she, she's seasoned in, in ministry in the church, and she saw all the kids playing together, and she said, Aaron, do you know what those kids are right there? Well, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're my kids, and they're your grandkids. So, yeah, I know what they are. But she said, do you know what those kids are right there? I said, what's that? She said, they're church cousins. I thought, well, that's, that's, that's a good, good terminology, church cousins. This is, leads me to my second point today, is church is family. Church is family. Hey, and we are part of a global family. If you've done travel and, and you traveled internationally, when you meet another believer, there's, there's something in your spirit that will connect with them, even when there's a bond in the language. But here locally, we are family. We're family with the other Jesus-believing, Bible-believing churches in Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville. They're part of our family. But then here locally, here locally, there's a connecting relational, there, there's a relational connection that I believe is deeper than any type of relationship. It takes repetition, it takes time, it takes staying somewhere and putting down your roots. But when you do that, a connectivity happens that's unlike anything that happens in this world. You are bond, bonded in the family of God. And all through the New Testament, the family of God is mentioned over and over again. Here's a sample of that. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. 
Now, how many know that if we lived that scripture, it would eliminate a lot of scandals and issues that have been exposed in the church lately? If we really treated each other like family and, and applied that scripture, that's what God has called us to do. The Apostle John, he, the Apostle John is known as the, you know, the he is the apostle of love because he's always calling us to love one another. But within that call to love, there's a deeply convicting passage that changes the way we connect to each other relationally within the family of God. First John chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Uh, this will convict you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Wow. That says a lot right there. In this passage, and you have to look at this in the whole context of Scripture, but he's making a very strong point here that I want to make also. We, a fruit of being a Christian is how we treat other brothers and sisters in Christ. And he, he, he will go on and emphasize that. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So he's really pointing us to Jesus there in salvation. Like, like we, you may not have murdered, but if you hate, you need Jesus. You need Jesus, and that points us there. Verse 16, this is how we know we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Thank you, Jesus. But look at the end of 16. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So there's a lot of conviction there. And that's aspirational. And I think about my life, I think about our church's life, and I have lots of examples of, yeah, we have lived that out. We have done that. Then lots of examples where, man, we've failed. We've fallen short of the glory of God in that passage. But here's the point I want you to hear today of, of us being family. Sometimes it's easier for us to love the world than it is to love the church. And and we 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 say, well, I love the world, but it just, you know, Christians, I don't, I don't like Christians. And I, you know, my dad used to say that. He used to say, I don't do business with Christians because he felt people took advantage of the fish and stuff and then did not pay bills and stuff like that. It, always, it was always off-putting. He's like, I don't like to do business with Christians. That was his, his kind of joke he would give. Um, but the point is this, is that we can get bitter towards other Christians in a way we don't get upset with the world. And that's because other Christians are family. And sometimes we get more ticked off at our family than we do people we don't know. And so this is a call to deeply love other Christians. And I want you to hear, I want, I want you to receive this call today. Deeply love other Christians, Christians that are associated with Christ's love church and Christians who are associated with the wider family of God, the city church and the regional church and the global church. We're called to love those also. Here's the last, number three, is presence. And I've already touched on this in talking about us being the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says it this way. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the gathering, for the benefit of the assembly, for the benefit of the church. 
Isn't that incredible? Think about that. Jesus has all authority and he's head over all things for our benefit, for the benefit of our church's health and vitality and the benefit of who we are. This is, this is a gorgeous expression of God's heart. The church, verse 23, and the church is his body. The church is his body. Think about that. We, we don't, in this world, we don't really function without a body. Our soul and spirit, we have to have a, our, our body is, is how, we, how we are known through our body. Even writing, we use our hands. Even speaking, we use our body. And so the thoughts that we have that we share with the world that may live on beyond our body start within our body. So the body is so important. And Jesus said, the church, the gathering of flawed, failed, weak, overlooked people is the body of Christ. The gathering, the church, what we do matters. The outcome of who we become makes a difference. Your participation in the church It's not you just doing us a favor. It's answering a call. It's walking in a pathway. Your your participation in the church is not you checking off something off the list to do. It's you coming together and taking your gifts and your story and your past and your future hopes and dreams. And together, all of that is the embodiment of Jesus Christ to this world. And this is what happens. I love this. The church is its body. It is made full and complete by Christ. The church is. Who fills all things everywhere with himself. Isn't that beautiful to see? That we are not just occupying space until he comes. We are filling all things with the fullness of Christ. We are bringing the gospel bringing the personality of Jesus, bringing the perspective of our God in flesh to everything we do in the world. That's why the church makes a difference. The church shows up. It embodies. It's physically present when tragedy brings the unexpected. I I know this firsthand. In Waverly, in Bowling Green, where there was a tornado, in, in the 2020 tornado here in Nashville, the church was there. The church was there. The, the body of Christ was present. We, we see that, that the, the Lord has used Christianity to create the greatest, greatest um, organizations and forces and extension of the church to touch the human need of this world. I, I, I know this is that the, the church, the gospel, the church manifested is there meeting the physical needs of people. The church is present when tragedy comes to people. Where there is social disorder, the church is there. The church is there to pray. The church is there to counsel. The church is there to comfort. The church is there in political power when decisions have to be made. There are great Christian men and women who have answered the call to politics. And Christian decisions will be made civically. So we may as well have Christians there. And it is done in a dignified way that's not manipulative, that is an expression of those leaders' hearts and who they are, who the gospel has made them. The church has been there to educate children. 
In fact, that's where education started. It started as a as a uh, expression of the church because we know this is that we have great transformational truth in scripture but how will they know scripture if they can't read and how will they read if they can't interpret and so the church has been involved in education the church has always been known for caring for the sick and caring for the dying we don't check out just because someone's suffering we step in when someone's suffering we sit with the suffering. We, we pray and sing to the suffering. And we are there when death happens to pray those last prayers, to comfort families, to stand with them at the cemetery and to provide for them green bean casserole at the church when the funeral's over. When mom used to make green bean casserole, I used to say, who died? You know, that was just, no, that was her special go-to. But uh, we laugh, but that's part of the church's love and care. The church has, has brokered peace between warring parties because we know that we serve the Prince of Peace. I want to tell you something. We have a great call on our lives. We have a great uh, cause to uphold. And this is what we really are. We are a visible presence of Jesus to this world. That's who we are. If there is no church, Jesus' name would not be known. He has chosen the church. And we will proclaim the coming of the Lord until that day. And I want you to know this. Until the Lord comes back again, whether it's this year or 10,000 years from now, there's going to be a church that's visible, vocal, seen, Known and no matter what the cultural climate is, no matter what uh, the, the level of popularity it is, we will proclaim Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again. You are part of something unique and special and you are called to the church and who you are here and who we are together makes a difference in the world. Be encouraged with that today.